Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, uh, feeling pretty good this weekend. I don't know about you, but it's hard to feel down after a 52 to nothing win, no matter who the opponent is. And more importantly, football is finally, truly, completely back. Oh, dude, it was so great. Like I forgot how much fun it was to go to a game and then come home from said game and then just park myself on my couch until... You know, whenever I would ha- get the chance to go out and do something like just sitting there bouncing from game to game, seeing so- and we'll talk about this a little later, seeing something as absurd as like, yo, Maryland is bringing it to Texas right now. Nobody expected this or I don't know, Pitt can't put away Youngstown State, just all these weird things that we don't really expect and pop up and it just m- you-, you forget how much fun it is during the long and cold and dark off season. And then with week one, we just dove right back in. Uh, and speaking of diving right back in, like we said, Penn state dove right back in into having just a, just a terrifying offense and a defense is able when it's on its game to really shut down an opponent, taking down Akron 52 to nothing. Uh, Penn state's only major mistake Really was on uh, the first drive of the game. Trace McSorley got a little ambitious, threw for Jawan Johnson in the end zone. That ball got picked off. And then after that, Penn State played a near-perfect game the rest of the way, whether it was McSorley through the air or with his legs because he had a pretty productive game on the ground. Saquon Barkley running the ball. Jawan Johnson, Deshaun Hamilton, uh, Mike Gusecki catching the ball. Tommy Stevens catching the ball. Or the defense just as a unit doing... Really making sure a lot of guys got involved in every one. And I'm sure the coaches will see something on the more uh, detailed tape that they weren't too stoked about. But from our perspective, every like I can't complain about anything. Nick, what did we learn from this win over Akron? Not too much because it was week one. Um, and kind of all those things you said, Maryland beating Texas and Pitt struggling with Youngstown State is a good reminder on why you never, ever, 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 ever place bets on week one of college football. But while the win was really awesome and every phase of the game pretty much looked outstanding, it's important to remember that this was against Akron, who, again, bad. So don't take too much away, but considering how often and how many teams did struggle to put away some cupcakes on their schedule in week one, it's hard to not at least walk away really happy at the very least. I don't think this changes too much about my outlook for the season for the team, but it definitely has me feeling pretty good heading into week two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big takeaways, if there are any, are that we saw stuff. We saw a well-rounded football team. I mean, we and they I, started fast. They started fast, which uh, that's more of a concern, you know. I think against early on against teams like Pitt and teams against Iowa. But look back on some of these other uh, early season first game of the year games that Penn State has had under James Franklin last year against Kent State. That ends thirty-three to thirteen. Uh, Penn State didn't really put its foot on the gas until a little bit later in the game. It was a little bit sloppy. Even going back a little further, Buffalo in 2015, that game ends 27-14. to 14. Uh, There was the Army game in 2015. 
14, which ended 20 to 14. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I promise I'd never speak of that again, but whatever. And then the last time Penn State played Akron, that game ends 28 to 3 in 2014. So the fact that Penn State came out and f- just really put together a comprehensive performance. Uh, offensively, we touched on all the major guys. Defensively, you know, they put a bunch of different players in there. A lot of different guys were able to make an impact. Uh, I mean, I look at, you know, Penn State's three leading tacklers, which, imperfect statistic, Jarvis Miller, Tyrell Chavis, Manny Bowen. Bowen doesn't really stun me. The fact that Jarvis Miller was in there making plays, uh, even if, you know, some of these things were happening a little later in the game, or Tyrell Chavis having three tackles for loss, Ryan Buckholz, he ended up performing pretty well uh, coming in for Sharif Miller, who uh, looked like he tweaked his ankle. Robert Windsor is stepping in and playing pretty well. The Cawthorns up the middle were just a really, uh, really disruptive force. So we see that from the defense. And then we look at special teams. Sure, Tyler Davis misses a kick. I mean, it, you know, in bad conditions, the hold, the snap, it looked like, you know, just one of those things where it was a bunch of imperfect things coming together and it led to a missed kick, whatever. He then drills one from 47 a little later in the game. But then you have like DeAndre Tompkins. I mean, Nick, I remember you and I, his uh, his 2015 season, he's going back to field punts, and every time you and I, especially, were getting stoked, DeAndre's going to do it, DeAndre's going to do it, and he just looked tentative, he looked a little bit worried, he looked a little bit scared, maybe, and he just never really found any kind of a rhythm. This week, I mean, he went out there and... He looked like the dynamic kick returner that, I mean, you can speak about his high school tape uh, pretty well because I know you were a big fan of him in high school. He looked like the dynamic return man that a lot of people, yourself and myself included, kind of expected uh, when he came into Happy Valley. Yeah, he was a stupid productive return man as a high schooler. Just, it it was like, it seems... Like, following his stats, it seemed like every game he had either a kick return or a punt return. It was unbelievable. Uh, but I think a lot of times as fans, we expect, we see all these guys with these huge return numbers as high schoolers, and we expect them just to be able to come in and just do the same thing at college because, I mean, really, what's all that different? Well, there's a lot different. The speed of the coverage team is a lot different. So I think it, I don't, I don't blame him for being tentative uh, last year and the year before, last year before he lost the job and then the year before. I don't blame him for being tentative at all. It's definitely something that takes an adjustment period. But like you said, he looked like a completely different guy on those punt returns yesterday being Saturday than he did uh, in the previous two seasons. It was night and day. He just looked, he looked confident. You heard it in his quote after the game. He said, taking a punt or a kickback is kind of like driving a NASCAR car with your head out the window. It's just full speed, nonstop, just trying to avoid everything at that top level speed. And he did that brilliantly. Granted, the Akron coverage wasn't outstanding on his kicker right. turn, but he still made he still made a few moves and he got around the edge. He got to the position he knew he needed to be, and he did his thing. So that was cool. Yeah, I, I I'm stoked. I mean, after John Reed went down. Punt returner was kind of a position where it was like, ah, oh, maybe Penn State's going to be able to find someone, but maybe that could be something that uh, raises some eyebrows a little bit later in the year. Through, I, through most of this offseason, yeah. they're 
we were constantly talking about, well, maybe they'll let KJ Hamler do it. Maybe they'll burn Matt Kippenhammer's red shirt to let him do it. And nope, they, they you, have the a, answer was there. I, I think we can pretty safely say they have an answer. Just because, like you said, so much of returning kicks is that decisiveness and that confidence and that ability to judge. Like, just taking a really quick scan of everything. You have, like, half a second to determine what you're going to do after you catch the ball because someone is going to light you up if you don't. And Tom can show that. So awesome to see that out of him. Uh, I want to move on really quickly. Uh, I want to talk about Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley. Um, I think that it's safe to say, and Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, they're both very good at football. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I, I want to get your thoughts because there were some people uh, I saw on the internet, you know, I'm just scrolling through my phone, who were kind of wondering why Barkley didn't touch the ball uh, on the first drive. I liked it. I like the fact that it gave McSorley a chance to get into a little bit of a rhythm, both with his arm and with his legs, because there were some runs on that first drive, some design quarterback runs, where he just had nothing but space in front of him. And I liked I almost felt like we didn't see that enough last year. Those moments where McSorley will take the ball and instead of handing it off to Barkley or throwing it, he takes it himself since he's a mobile guy. And I think that if we see that dimension out of McSorley more this year, that makes the passing game a little bit easier. That makes uh, Saquon Barkley's ability to run a little bit easier. And that kind of opens up a little bit of a different dimension for this offense. What do you think? Yeah, I first of all, I can, I can. There's only one carry I can think of where McSorley probably made the wrong read on the option play, um, but other than that, Leah, like you said, he was outstanding with the ball in his hands. And one of the many advantages of having two Heisman contenders in your backfield is that you get to play mind games with the opponent. During so many times last year, we saw Saquon Barkley runs. Um, to set up those big plays for play action. Well, on that first drive against Akron, we saw the impact that Barkley has just being there, just his presence. Um, it seemed like every single play, there may there's one extra guy on that Akron defense, maybe just hesitating a slight second, just making sure Barkley didn't wasn't going to get the ball. And more, what more heads able to do in that situation where he's able to keep. Keep putting, keep putting on those option plays and keep putting these quick passes, knowing that teams have to load up to try to stop Barkley because he's that good. Knowing that he's going to have that openings in the pass game is like when you do that, when you do the the kind of drive that Penn State pulled off on that first drive where it was all McSorley and the receivers, then it just changes your mindset again as a defensive coordinator because then you're thinking about okay, well, I guess we can't sell out to Barkley. It looks like they might be trying to go more with Trace this game. But then right after that next drive, we saw a whole lot of Barkley. So it he gets to play mind games with every single uh, defense he goes up against. And it's not that every coach can't do that because every offense coordinator has a quarterback and a running back. But very few, if any, in the country have a duo back there as potent as McSorley and Barkley. So it's it's not even so much as it's not even so much a pick your poison game for the defense. It's almost just more of you know you're going to get poisoned and you know it's going to happen quickly and you don't get to pick. We're going to pick for you. I that that way of describing it is very violent and very weird, but I also like like it a lot and I'm not sure why, but you I know, actually, listen, I'm supposed to be having Game of Thrones tonight and it's not on, so I need to get that violence out in okay, another way. Okay, okay, that's fair. But yeah, I 
I, I actually want to go back to the on that first drive. I so uh, my seats in the stadium are in one of the upper sections on the end away from the student section. So I kind of get to see things uh, as they're happening from behind plays that are going in that direction. And one of my friends pointed out that on that first drive, it looked like Akron had a linebacker whose job was to just follow Saquon everywhere he went. It's like when, uh, you know, going cross sport here, when Jimmer Fredette or Steph Curry were in college and defenses would just have one dude or in some time, some situations, two dudes whose only job was to surround them and make sure they couldn't touch the basketball. So when defenses are putting that much focus on Saquon Barkley, it opens everything up. And then as those things gets opened up, defensive coordinators have to start making decisions on, do we want Trace McSorley and his legs to go out there and like shred us that way? Do we want the receiving game, which... We got a look this weekend where, you know, one, two, three, four different wide receivers caught footballs. It probably could have been more, but it looked like Penn State really wanted to get a number of guys going into a rhythm, plus some tight ends, plus some running backs, uh, whether it was, you know, throwing to Barkley or things like uh, that one throw to Andre Robinson where they ran what looked like, and I have to go back oh, and watch again, a that damn, was almost a damn so wheel pretty. route up the seam. Like, it was awesome. Or even something as fun, and I'm like we could definitely touch on this as Tommy Dam Stevens being used as a receiver, which was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that entire. <sighs> what, I, I do want to get your thoughts on this. Like, what do you think about using that two QB package thing and showing off some of the stuff that Penn State would do? Uh, you know, when one that they're even going to use both quarterbacks this way, and two the variety of ways that they would use Tommy Stevens in something like this. I do want to get your thoughts on that. I am all for it. He is such an absurdly athletic dude that, I mean, any way you can get him on the field, you kind of have to, aside from um, just getting garbage snaps as a quarterback. He, I mean, there's, we've talked before in the past about the possibilities that arise from having two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Uh, But while any team could put two quarterbacks back there, but few teams could put a second quarterback back there and know that they can do the things that Stevens can. I mean, we saw last year, he clearly is apt at running the ball in a more of a running back wide receiver hybrid kind of situation on the jet sweep. We just saw that he can go out and catch a pass if he needs to. I, I think when you have somebody that athletic, when you have somebody that can do that many different things, you just do whatever you can to get him on the field and not, not in like, like he shouldn't be on the field really for more than, I mean, really more than like six snaps a game with McSorley at the same time, unless they really go all out and put in a package and yeah. make it like a significant part of the offense, which it shouldn't be. But five, five or four or five snaps a game to just have that as something else the defense has to think about and something that they, I mean, really it'd be irresponsible to really be too prepared for that because it's such a small part of what the offense can do is would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they probably wouldn't, and I'm basing this on, like, I really don't have too much other than, you know, they want to keep McSorley on the field as much as possible, but I don't imagine that they would want to do a Chris Leak, Tim Tebow thing. But No, no, yeah, no. But knowing that's there, and even if they don't 
run anything involving this two QB set again. Just the fact that they put it out there and they put it on film, and now teams have to try and find a way to prepare for all of these weird combinations and packages that Penn State could potentially throw out there. Someone made this point on the site about how some people were going, well, if you're going to do this, do it against Pitt or do it against Ohio State and do it in a way that teams can't prepare for. Instead, this makes it harder to prepare for playing Penn State. Now there's a couple of different things that we've seen. I'm sure there are more things out there. And going forward, teams have to worry about what will happen if Penn State uh, puts a package out there where it's Trace McSorley and Tommy Stevens and a collection of receivers and tight ends and whatever running backs they may want to put on the field. That's a really scary thought and a really tough thing to have to prepare for. And for a Penn State offense that, you know, in addition to having talented dudes and doing things pretty directly, also has no problem throwing in some smoke and mirrors to catch other teams off guard. That's a terrifying thought. Uh, not not to mention that both times we've seen Stevens on the field in a role like that, now he's gotten the ball. Yeah, he's and it's And it's so often that when teams put in plays like that, I... Percy Harvin's a guy that comes to mind when he towards the end of his career he I don't know if his career is still technically going or not but um, just guys of that ilk when you put them on the field if they're not on there all the time it's usually the kind of thing where all right this guy just came in the game the defense knows he's getting the ball the offense knows he's getting the ball but it doesn't matter because they're just betting that you can't stop him we've seen Stevens get the ball twice out of two times in this scenario now but what if he lines up at receiver and they run a, like a double option jet sweep? Like what if McSorley fakes the handoff to Stevens or gives to him based on the coverage? And then all of a sudden that's just one less guy to worry about. And you have McSorley and Barkley running an option to the right while McStevens runs up McStevens while Stevens runs <laughs> off to the left. I mean, it's, we've seen him get the ball twice. We haven't seen what happens when he doesn't get the ball yet. How many times yeah. do we see players go in for special plays like that? Defense is they're They're trained. Okay. This is different. This is probably where the ball's going. So that just opens up a new possibility of it just using him as a decoy. Yeah, and I actually love you bringing up Harvin because this kind of these kinds of packages have a different dimension from those Percy Harvin packages. Yes, uh, they can hand the ball off to Stevens or throw it to Stevens, not in the same way that uh, you know Florida would with Harvin or you know Harvin would get in his NFL career, but this also has the added dimension of if they can give him the ball and then he could not only throw it he could throw it well that's Mm -hmm. something very weird and very unusual and it might be good to go back and watch some old florida tape because i you know i haven't watched 2007 florida in a while even though that was really fun football and just it's it's like having um what's his name antoine randall yeah 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 i mean i think that's uh I, I think that's a. I don't want to say accurate comparison I mean, we, we, because Antoine Randall be, was a different play. Like, he, yeah, you know, we're, he was we're, faster, over, he was we're overstating. Yeah, we're yeah, we're overstating Tommy's receiving abilities right. in that comparison. But right. as far as just a thrower, yeah, just and having that extra little something when you have a prolific passing offense with some really talented receivers. I mean, Jawan Johnson had. I mean, he had the breakout game. I think we were all kind of expecting. 
him to eventually have Mike Gusecki showed why he's Mike Gusecki. Deshaun Hamilton kept getting open, and, you know, rainy day, some drops happen, whatever. I, I'm confident that's not going to be the case. And then finding ways to use DeAndre Tompkins. Then you bring in this additional weapon of a quarterback who could throw the ball but can also catch the ball a little bit, who can run pretty well. I, I mean, it's it makes a scary offense even more scary. And starting with Pitt, I think we're going to start seeing a much more accurate representation of what this offense is. But I think Akron showed us what the offense can do. Uh, moving on, Nick, I want to I want to know were there any major questions that you felt were answered against Akron? Or does this kind of go back to what you said at the beginning of the pod where you said, you know, I, I don't think you could take too terribly much away from this. Uh, you know, Akron is Akron. We'll learn more going forward. Yeah, I, I think one question would be punt returner. I think it's pretty safe to assume that that's Dad's job now. Um, but, uh, I mean, I get, I'm kind of tempted to say, uh, it's, it wasn't so much a major question, more of just uh, curious to see how they look. The offensive line looked pretty good. Uh, opponent adjusted, kind of takes some of the kind of flair out of that. We'll just get a better idea next week, although Pitt will be without a couple, uh, three of the, uh, two of their best players, well, two players on defense. So we'll see. I know last time we, when we originally posted the article about them, uh, about their suspensions, we were yelled at by pit fans for saying that the defensive end who got suspended was important despite the fact that he had like six sacks last year but whatever sure yes, he's uh, what, what nick is trying to say is pit fans keep tweeting at us because we absolutely yes. listen to you please and keep listening to the podcast we love you um, yeah listen if but, you're a pit football fan who's listening to our podcast god bless you <laughs> but yeah the offensive line playing pretty well i think is somewhat of a question answered it will need more information we'll get more information we'll talk about more about the offensive line in a minute um troy apke i thought looked fine i don't think anyone's expecting him to be a kind of a game breaker i don't think we're expecting him to be as good as Molly golden was last year or any of the other safeties penn state's had in the last six or seven years but he looked fine I'm curious to see how he looks next week against Pitt and going forward but um yeah, I, I guess I would just reiterate, don't take too much. Just enjoy and know that it won't be all roses all throughout the season, but that this doesn't, it's not insignificant the way that a lot of guys played on Saturday. So um, just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I I, I want to bring up, uh, actually, you mentioned Troy Apke. Uh, I want to go in a little bit of a different direction when I say something I learned and or a question that I thought, uh, might have been answered. And that's, I was a little bit worried about cornerback. You know, John Reed going down. John Reed's an all-Big Ten caliber defensive back. He goes down. You know what Grant Haley is. You know he's a good, solid option in the secondary. But that guy next to him, is it going to be a Amani Oruwarie? Is it going to be Christian Campbell? Is it going to be uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, who's apparently really been impressing is it going to be Lamont Wade? Like, what's going to happen there? And I think we got the answer, which was it's going to be a little of everyone, and they can all kind of play. I mean, Lamont Wade and Tariq Castro-Fields, you know, I want to see more of them, but the fact that their first game went and there weren't any moments where I went, oh, wow, they're freshmen, that gives me a reason for optimism. Uh, Christian Campbell is... I think he's a talented dude. He's a long-rangey defensive back. Uh, 
I didn't hear his name all that much, which when you're talking about cornerbacks, that is totally fine. You know, that's always a really good thing. He had two tackles and he had half of a tackle for the loss. Uh, I don't have any uh, passes defended stats or anything like that, but I'm sure we can go and find that stuff. But yeah, I thought he was solid. And Amanio Ruarie, man, that dude is good. That interception that he had where he just went up and got the ball. He fought for that ball like he was a wide receiver, and he made a play on it like he was a wide receiver. That's something that you you just usually don't see, you know, guys who are kind of thought as, quote-unquote, other defensive backs making that type of play. That was a really tough play to make. And then there was the second uh, almost interception with him. That that I was more impressed by that second one. So I mean, the first one, yeah, the first I, one was kind of the first one was underthrown. Yeah. Um, well, the second and so one, it, the so second, was the one second one was underthrown. I mean, there was a little bit of a case for concern there because we all think of the great, you know, play he ended up making on that ball, even though he was falling down. Uh, it was a little concerning that the dude got in behind him, a better quarterback, uh, or at least a healthier quarterback in better condition might throw that one a little more out in front and then it takes over Warrior out of the play a bit but unless unless it's Paris Campbell <laughs> unless it's Paris Campbell but i i think the fact that we have a little bit more confidence in that second third fourth cornerback roles with John Reed out i think that's a big big boost for a Penn State secondary that uh it had two and it had two known commodities in Haley and Allen. That safety spot's going to be something that we're going to try and figure out all year. And then, yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, just quickly touching on, uh, you, you know, we mentioned the quarterback for Akron, Thomas Woodson. I want to give a shout out to uh, message board poster Zips Outsider who said we did lazy. Pre-game analysis, uh, we said... Which to, be, which, to be fair, we don't know a lot about Akron. Yeah, so. like, we, we admittedly don't know a lot about Akron, so saying that uh, Tommy Woodson is good and could be entertaining, that might still be the case, even though we had a pretty rough game. So thank you for calling us out on that. But we were absolutely right that uh, Akron's defense wasn't great and it would be a blowout and that we'd be uh, tailgating by halftime. So I wanted to give you a shout-out, Zips Outsider. Please post about us. Uh one thing that you did mention, Nick, uh, was the offensive line. And you wrote uh, a little something on the uh, offensive line uh, after the game. And you wrote something that I I thought was pretty good. Uh, it was... Aw, thank you. Well, it was insightful. And, you know, I'm going to call him like I see it, Nick. Uh, you mentioned Barkley, his... Uh, I'm going to call it an 87-yard touchdown because he didn't step out of bounds, and if he did, he stepped out of the 11 and not the 7. Neither here nor there. I'm going to call it an 87-yard touchdown. On that run, uh, I mean, I think of something that uh, my buddy Joe Dolan uh, from the website Fantasy Guru tweeted, which was that was like a Melvin Gordon run where he didn't have to do too much because the line was so great. And you wrote, that's the sort of blocking that Barkley has rarely been able to rely on throughout his Penn State career. But this one run gives you a glimpse of how deadly the Nittany Lion offense can be truly if the beasts in the backfield are given time and space to do what they do best. I want you 
you to expand on that a little bit. I mean, we've talked about Barkley and uh, the challenges he's had to uh, face up front. This game kind of showed what can happen if he is running behind a good offensive line. Yeah, so we talked, we've talked about it on the podcast a few times uh, in the ones we had leading up to the season opener, but we talked a lot about stuff rate. We talked a lot about how the Penn State offensive line a lot of times left Barkley out to dry, let him get hit behind the line, basically right after the handoff. And uh, some of that is also because Penn State does run a read option on almost every play. So there's not a lot of just straight handoff. So there is just a split second more time for the defense to get back there. But he's he's yet to run behind a good offensive or an average offensive line while he's been at Penn State. And while this game wasn't perfect, that's kind of why the, I titled the piece pretty um, purposely. I titled it Penn State's Offensive Line Takes a Big First Step Towards Respectability versus Akron. I wasn't trying to convey that I thought the line was outstanding. I wasn't trying to convey that I thought the offensive line was now this world-beating unit. More just that there were signs. There were signs that something greater is coming. And like you said, they... like. Like you said that I wrote, they all kind of showed up in that 80-yard run that was all so close to being an 87-yard touchdown. But while there's still things to clean up, just just giving him just giving him the chance to get to the line of scrimmage untouched. That's such that's it doesn't seem like we're asking for a lot in asking for that, but it's it's been a challenge for this team for the last two, three, four years. So just being able to get him to that line of scrimmage point and then letting him take over from there and just having guys occasionally just start to get to the second level as blockers as they did a few times on Saturday, that's just so, so huge for this offense. Yeah, there was one uh, there was one moment in particular that I remember where I want to say Barkley got the ball and going up the middle. I don't remember who had it. But what I do remember was like five yards up the field or a few yards up the field, there was an Akron defender on the ground and Brendan Mayen was laying on top of him. Like, Penn State Mm -hmm. just hasn't had that. That is an interior lineman getting up the field, making a pancake block, and clearing space for Barkley uh, on his lengthy touchdown run. Part of the reason that was able to happen was because Chaz Wright you know, he gets up the field a little bit. He There's a linebacker, defensive back there, and he's able to make that block, and it frees up a ton of space for Barkley to just get going. Once that happens, like, Barkley, this block happens on, Akri- on Penn State's 13-yard line. There's just nobody else there. Getting that little bit extra and making it so the only thing Barkley has to do is run the football instead of make guys miss and you know juke dudes out of their shoes and make plays on his own brings that extra dimension and I don't know if Penn State's going to be able to do that against Ohio State I don't know if Penn State's going to be able to do that against Michigan I don't know if Penn State's going to be able to do that against Northwestern and Iowa but the fact that it's even a possibility this year is a testament to how uh, Ryan Bates, Stephen Gonzalez, Connor McGovern, Brendan Mayen, and Chaz Wright have developed over their time in Happy Valley. 
And it's a testament to Matt Limegrover's coaching ability. And I cannot wait to see what we get out of Penn State uh, and its front going forward. And if it's Mm -hmm. able to give, one, Barkley room to run, and two, as we saw a few times, Trace McSorley the time to, you know, be composed in the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and wet routes developed and then just let it rip and find a dude deep, this team's going to be scary good on offense. And that's something that gives me a lot of optimism and something that, uh, you know, as you call, as you said in your uh, in your recap, it made for a complete performance against Akron, fifty-two to nothing. I think we could put this game to bed, and we can really quickly talk about some of the Big Ten games that happened this week. If you're up for it, absolutely. First things first, and we're going to start with this one. We have nothing to say about it. Uh, Minnesota seventeen, Buffalo seven. Um, a thumbs up for you, PJ Fleck. I didn't watch a second of this game. Row the boat. Row the boat. Yeah. Uh, also, shout out to PJ Fleck for uh, whatever devil magic he left with uh, Western Michigan for, you know, just taking it to USC for th- three quarters basically yesterday. That was awesome. I mean, I think we all kind of expected uh, Western to take a pretty big step back with, you know, Corey Davis moving on to the NFL, some other veteran guys leaving and Fleck going to Minnesota. But, hey, good for you and uh, the dream of Penn State and USC meeting up in the Rose Bowl again and just making me a complete and utter mess. It is alive for another week. Uh, Woo! Yeah, sure, cool. Other Thursday night game, Ohio State at Indiana. Um this game ended 49-21. I don't think that is reflective of how it was played because for about two or two and a half quarters, Indiana was just straight up taking it to Ohio State, Nick. Yeah, they absolutely were. It was kind of scary to watch as a yeah, Penn State fan. Simmy! Yeah. Um, really, yeah, really everything that we thought about Indiana heading into the season looked pretty true. Um, the defense, I know that it's hard to say that a defense played really well when they gave up 49 points, but you also have to keep in mind that it's Ohio State. They looked pretty pretty great for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, eventually Ohio State just out five-star recruited them towards the end. They yeah. wore them down and that happened. Yeah, you can't walk away from that game too upset if you're Indiana. I mean, you can be upset that it's an yet another game that they have played close for a good part of the game and only to end up on the losing side again. But it, you have there are a lot of positives for the Hoosiers after that one, and for Ohio State as well. I mean, they started really slowly, and the downfield passing game still kind of looks like a mess. But they were able to bounce back. They fought back from adversity, and they looked pretty solid and pretty fresh by the time the game was over. Yeah, I mean, I have this game one terrified me because Ohio State's front seven on defense is just like a meat grinder. And Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, Richard Legow and Simi Cobbs kind of showed that if a quarterback is able to get the ball out and if there's one thing I trust is that Joe Moorhead is going to try and find a way to negate the advantages that Ohio State might have up front by having McSorley throw it quickly to Uh, Penn State's various weapons, you can move the ball on them, especially on that secondary. And if McSorley has time to throw and he has time to just rip it, that this could be kind of scary. 
Uh, moving on to the Friday I don't, night. I don't know, though, Bill. I don't I don't think Ohio State will face a better quarterback and receiver combination the rest of this year than they did against Indiana. I mean, listen, I get what Herb Street was saying there in terms of the ability to have a quarterback who can throw it down the field and have a collection of receivers. Right now, I mean, established right now, I think he was wrong, but I don't think he was like out of his mind. I, I think Baker Mayfield is there's a very good chance he's gonna torch Ohio State, and I think McSorley could do the same. But I mean, save for um Richard Wagow doing some incredibly Richard Wagow things, he was torching them for stretches of time. And I think if I think it's gonna be very hard to run in Ohio State, but I think eventually if a team is able to run on them, it's going to make it's going to make the quarterback look even better. But yeah, I mean, he was wrong, but he wasn't, uh, I wasn't mad about how wrong Kirk Herbstreet was. Uh, yeah, moving, moving uh, they're, they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. They're pretty good. Moving on to Friday. Uh, I didn't watch either of these games. I was at the U.S. soccer match in uh, Harrison, New Jersey, which one is why my voice sounds so terrible on this edition of the pod. And two um, sucked and I don't want to talk about it. And I feel very mad at myself. So Nick, what did uh, you Harrison, the pride of New Jersey? It's actually a lot nicer than I anticipated. And Red Bull Red Bull Arena is like an insanely cool venue. Do they still have the giant empty warehouse for parking? Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> oh yeah. god. But yeah, Red I Bull went, Red... I went I went there right when it opened. The stadium's beautiful. Oh, it's so cool. Uh we'll talk about this more off the podcast, but Nick after the match, when I was just incredibly mad and I had steam coming out of my ears and I wanted everyone to be fired, I looked down at my phone and I saw that Rutgers was taking it to Washington. What the hell happened? The Rutgers defense played awesome. I mean, I'd taken it's probably a stretch because they were never up more than 7-3. Um, no, I'm sorry. They were up 7-0. Then it was 7-3. Um, but... Their defense looked outstanding. They just were absolutely swarming Browning for really the whole first half. Chris Ash is uh, really good at this, man. Yeah, we're, we should have some pictures of happy Chris Ash now in the yeah. data, in the database, not I mean, just this is, this slightly is a, confused, angry Chris this is a Ash. Thing that you and I, have, I, you and I have been saying about him and about DJ Durkin, who we're about to really praise in a bit. But he's in a tough situation. But I don't like. I don't think Rutgers. And the record that he accrues there is going to be a reflection of how uh, of how good he is at coaching what he coaches. Like, and yeah. by what you're saying, it sounds like they were he showed his ability to put together a really good defense against a Washington team that you know they they have some expectations of winning the Pac-12. Yeah, there there was legit pressure in Browning's face on every single snap. Every single time he dropped back, there was a guy in his face, um, and then the pass. The the one touchdown or the first touchdown Rutgers scored in the first half. The pass from Bolin to Janarian Grant was legitimately pretty. I Our mean, boy it was, Janarian, hell yeah, yeah. It was it was the, to be it was the wrong play. They sh- based on the coverage and based on how it played out, he should have just put it over the top because Grant would have really been easily just been able to turn his shoulder and have a wide open pass. But the Bolin put it on a. He put it on a platter. He put it just out of the reach of whoever was covering Grant, right into right into his hands, right as right in stride, walking the end zone. It was a legitimately gorgeous pass. I was I was really impressed by it. Um, I, I to ask, I believe we said 
at the beginning of the season, or you said at the beginning of the season, you think that Rutgers wins one game that it absolutely should not. Do you feel a little more confident in that now? Yeah, definitely. Nice. I think I I think I said that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I could especially with if their defense plays. They gave up thirty points in the end, but if their defense plays the way that they played in this one, they will absolutely beat someone that they're not supposed to. Or hopefully not yeah. Penn State. Hopefully not Penn State. Uh, moving on to the other game that caught my attention after uh, the United States decided to uh, tear my heart out and throw it into a blender. Uh, I saw that Utah State was up 10 nothing against Wisconsin, and I went, holy hell, this is awesome. Uh, and then Wisconsin won 59-10. So I mean, yep. I, my, my guess is there's not too much to take away from that. Uh, and if there is, uh, well, Nick, you better say it right now. Nah, Utah State's not that good. Yeah. All right. That, yeah, that's yeah. it. All right. Yeah, moving on to Saturday. Uh, we will go from least interesting to most interesting. Uh, oh, you you better put the right game last then. Oh, I am putting the right game last. Uh, first up, Arkansas State and Nebraska. Nebraska barely won it. I cannot believe. Uh, final was 43-36. I cannot believe that Nebraska, which, you know, they have Mike Riley, who's one of the more – white bread coaches out there behind future NFL draft pick Tanner Lee um, might have been a little bit flustered by an Arkansas State team that is known for just being weird as hell. But uh, yeah, Trey Bryant might be pretty good. Yeah, but on the flip side, I don't I really don't think Nebraska is all that good. I, I, I mean, they. I don't think I disagree with you on that. Yeah, but yeah, Bryant did look awesome. Yeah. Um, 192 yards, touchdown, 31 carries. That is a lot of carries. But, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, like you said, Arkansas Arkansas State's a weird team, but it's not necessarily a team that you should feel super good about giving up 36 points to. Um, I, I just I think Nebraska is destined for, like, 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-5, and five, uh, maybe 8-4 and because they play in the West. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just not – I'm not very impressed with them. Uh. Speaking of running backs who carry the ball way too much, Northwestern, 31, Nevada, 20, Justin Jackson, 30 carries, 109 yards. Clayton Thorson, 28 for 38, 352, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, I I think, I I don't think Nevada is especially great, but I think that if, and this is a very hot take, but if Northwestern is able to get that kind of production out of Clayton Thorson going forward, I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, Justin Jackson padding his lead as the NCAA all-time leader in career carries with approximately seven thousand eight hundred and forty-two. Keep talking. I'm going to I'm going to add this up because I'm looking at just the uh, numbers right now, and they're like these are the numbers that Nick Saban gives to one of his running backs before they go to the NFL and are broken. So you're so you're telling me I actually undersold how many carries he has? Um, Yeah, I, I. like you said, Nevada is not all that good, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little worried now about my pick of Northwestern to win the West after seeing Wisconsin show off some offensive firepower there. But I, I, th- I still, I still think I feel pretty good about it. That Thorson and Jackson is a really good combo. Probably my second favorite uh, quarterback running back combo in the Big Ten after Penn State's. Um, although. J.K. Dobbins may have something to say about that with Ohio State. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. He's awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, Justin yeah. Jackson, uh, 885 career carries and oh, another, Jesus. another, uh, 80 or so career receptions. So good Lord. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, he's five eleven and 200 pounds. All right. Uh, I really like Justin Jackson, but so, he oh, might love, have, he him. might have like a two year NFL career. Yeah. Uh, Holy hell. Michigan state played Bowling green that ended 35 to 10. Uh, Michigan state is, um, I don't think they're especially is, is good. a football team. Yeah. I mean, uh, and they played in a football game. Yeah, they played in a foot. Like, yeah. I mean, I I can't think of anything. If there's anything to I think take from this is that L.J. Scott really struggled. 15 carries, 39 yards. Uh, but you know they were able to get Gerald Holmes and Madre London some carries. Good day for Brian Lewerke. Yeah. Brian Lewerke, yeah, had a nice day. 250 yards through the air with the trio of touchdowns. Uh, eight carries, 69 yards on the ground. Nice. Yeah. Uh, a decent game for him. I I think Michigan State, I think they just needed to get a win after how bad this offseason was for them. Uh, and they were able to get a win. And, I, you know, they'll have a much bigger test soon. I mean, next week, that game against Western Michigan suddenly looks a whole hell of a lot more intriguing than it did uh, 24 hours ago. Notre Dame, who the hell knows with them. And then they start that uh, a pretty rough Big Ten stretch of Iowa at Michigan, at Minnesota, Indiana at Northwestern, Penn State at Ohio State. And then Maryland's and Rutgers are there, and those will probably be kind of gross, ugly games. So it's I, I think it's good for their program. They were able to go out and get a win. Uh, but yeah, I'm not exactly at the point where I'm terrified of Penn State having to... I, I think Penn State secures the land-grant trophy is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. It's ours forever now. Forever and ever. Uh, next up, Iowa 24, Josh Allen and Wyoming 3. Uh, Breaking the hearts of NFL scouts everywhere. Yeah, 23 for 40, 174 yards and two interceptions for Josh Allen. Uh, Akram Wadwi had stunner, a very nice day on the ground, 24 carries, 116 yards. Uh Iowa didn't put the ball in the air too much, but of their eight completions... <laughs> they only three, threw eight pass? Or no, eight 15. They, yeah, <laughs> eight, eight completions, but three of them were touchdowns. Like, oh, God. That's efficiency. That is, that's what that is. That's something, for sure. Uh, I think it's probably... Uh, like I, I don't know what to expect out of Wyoming. I don't know if you know Josh Allen is actually good or... Just NFL draft scouts are trying to look smarter than they actually are by saying he's a guy who's going to be great. But Mitch Leitner. Yeah, Mitch Leitner. But I think, uh, you know, allowing three points against a team that has a little bit of hype behind it, that's a, that's a pretty good sign for Iowa's defense, I, would, I, I think it's safe to say. Man, Wyoming took a my, Wyoming forced four fumbles, got three of them, and still only scored three points. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That is bad. Hey, speaking of bad, Illinois beat Ball State by three points. I, yeah. Like, one, I had an Illinois in my, uh, I'm in a Big Ten survivor pool, and I had Illinois, so I uh, was kind of sweating this one. They needed to outscore Ball State eight to nothing in the fourth quarter to win by three. 
the, Mikey Dudek touchdown though. Hey, he's back. I missed him, so I'm glad about that. I, yeah, love that. I love that man. Like I, I don't know how anyone can be excited about Illinois. Just like in general, I have that thought, and then they come out and put together a really lifeless performance against Ball State, which they needed to block a field goal at the end. Like, yeah, I, I, I just don't think this team's any good. Nope. Lovey's just counting down the days. Counting down the days. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna make it a point to not watch them at all this season. Like it's ugh. now we get to the actually interesting games. Uh, would you rather? Oh, go ahead. Would you rather be a potato stuck in the ground forever? I'm 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 gonna modify my favorite "Would you rather" ever question here. But would you rather be a potato stuck in the ground forever, or have to watch or be yourself? but have to watch every single minute of every single Illinois football game for the rest of your life. I'd pick the latter solely because I feel like that would be really funny. Do you want to hear the original would you rather? Because it's a good one. Yeah. Would you rather be a potato? Same scenario. Or would you rather eat a potato every day and feel its pain? Wow. Yeah. I'm going to think about that one some more. But if we want to talk about feeling some pain, let's talk about Florida football. Uh, yeah, I mean, God, I don't know if this game was more of an indictment against Florida or it, it very well could be. Don't get me wrong. I don't with how many guys they had suspended and started. The 13 players that were allowed to play were probably really yeah. disappointed. Three offensive points. I mean, their 14 of their 17 points came on pick sixes. They lost 33-17 to Michigan. That Michigan defense, I think we knew it was going to be a good unit, but I also think it seemed like, at least in this game, and again, it's hard to draw any major conclusions from this because we have no idea what Florida is. They might be ahead of schedule, which is a terrifying thought, not just this year, but going forward. Because if this Michigan defense is one of the top, you know, five to ten units in the country this year, let alone, you know, a top three unit. I think that my future pick of them winning the Big Ten next year is, ooh, they're scary. Yeah, I don't think anyone, I don't think any of us expected their defense to be bad. Um, right, maybe, right. I think we all, I think we expected them to be pretty good to maybe great, but after week after one week it seems like maybe they could be pretty awesome instead so um yeah that's kind of terrifying yeah i like i i think that felipe again felipe franks young dude first game definitely seemed a little overwhelmed by it malik zaire um just ran for his life florida had 27 carries and 11 yards like oh. Michigan's defense is just swarming on that. And then the other side of the ball, Wilton Spate was, uh, I mean, he wasn't great. He threw those two picks. He was 11 for 25 with 181 yards. He had a, he had one touchdown. He had some pretty beautifully thrown passes. I hope that they don't try and do the two QB thing with Spate and O'Corn because I feel like that could be a waste of time for them. And then Ty Isaac ran the ball really well. Chris Evans ran the ball really well. Uh, Tarek Black, I mean, he had a pretty solid day in the receiving game, as did Grant Perry. 
How about our guy Quinn Nordine? I was just about to say that. I didn't want to give him uh, – I didn't want to have to say it, but Quinn Nordine, you know, missed two kicks but still looked like a star. I, they have talent. I mean, they have Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Tark Black are two true freshmen, but you can already see they have plans for them to make an impact. Guys like Levert Hill are out there. Guys like Ambry Thomas are out there. Guys like uh, Rashawn Gary are out there. All, you know – true sophomores or younger, this team is scary. It's going to be good. It made a statement against Florida, and we're going to find out how legitimate that statement was going forward. But I thought it was a really good first impression for them. Uh, I know the game you're going to want to end with, and we're going to end with that game. So we got to talk about Maryland for a second. Ah, good. Was was this game, Maryland is better than anyone thought, or was this game? Hey, you know what? Maybe we uh, maybe we gave Texas a little too much credit for hiring Tom Herman. My initial impression is that this could end up being the Notre Dame Texas game from last year, where it was a pretty exciting game at the time. I think it was week two. No, week one. I don't know. It was either week one or week two, but uh, it was kind of a back and forth, just deep balls after deep balls and exciting and high scoring. And we kind of walked away from it being like, whew, wow, those teams are both being pretty good. And then they were both bad. So while and I don't I don't want to take away from this win for Maryland at all, because beating the pants off well, not beating the pants, beating Texas in Texas's house is a lot is a hell of a lot more impressive than like Penn State beating Akron. So good on the Terps. I mean, that's awesome for them. Uh, Tyrell Pigrome, I I was shocked that he looked as good as he did. I mean, he only threw twelve passes, but ran the ball 175 well. yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, this is the like issue, I he forget. Might, who, uh, there's no word on what he, yeah, his injury sure is, but is. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want this to sound as bad as it might, but I almost feel like this could be. I don't want to say a blessing in disguise, but it's if this door is closed, I think opening the Kasim Hill one is pretty good because I think he's a really talented quarterback and a guy who could be – he can run that Maryland offense once he gets everything down really well whenever he gets uh, – whenever he has to take the reins, whether it be uh, starting next week or whether it be – well, whether it be full-time starting next week for the rest of his career or whether it's something that starts – you know, happens for a few weeks till Pigrone gets back. But I, if you were a Maryland fan, I don't know how you could watch this game and watch that defense uh, really shut down Texas's rushing attack and not feel kind of a, you know, feel pretty optimistic that, you know, DJ Durkin's the guy. He's recruiting while there's talent in this program. And even if Maryland goes four and eight or five and seven or six and six. This goes back to something that we've said on the last couple of podcasts, which is they are going to be better this year, no matter what their record says. And I think this game was an indication of that. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say that Hill being thrust in the starting role would be a blessing in disguise. I think because, because of the way the Maryland offense is structured, um, if the rushing game isn't there, then it kind of all falls apart, and a lot, a lot is going to get end up thrown on the QB, and I'm not sure that's the best situation for a freshman to be in. But yeah, I mean this this game was 
exactly the way that Maryland wants to play football. They want to be able to hand it off what they handed off 33, 43 times in this game. That's exactly what they want to do. They have two great running backs in Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison. And you just they want to give them the ball as often as possible. They won't be able to do that against every team on their schedule. Um, clearly, I, yeah, I think we're a lot of people were maybe overhyping the Texas defense a little bit. Not that that's what people were necessarily most excited about. But yeah, you you can't not be happy about this if you're Maryland, and you can't not be a little worried if you're the rest of the Big Ten. Um, it's it's basically the same blueprint to beat them as last year. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, maybe Kaysom Hill does come in and is awesome. And maybe he does kind of help that offense take the next step. Or maybe Pigram isn't hurt too bad, comes back in a couple weeks and continues to just be a really great dual threat option for them. And I mean, just just be Navy, Maryland. Just do it. Just convert full time. Yeah, uh, go for it. Just and do it. One thing that I think needs to be pointed out is... You know, we're saying that, or people were saying, you know, Texas scored 41 points. Uh, 21 of them, I believe, came on uh, defense and special teams. So Maryland's defense allowed 20 points to Tom Herman and Texas and Shane Bichelle, who I think is really good. That deserves a ton of praise. And again, Maryland's a scary team. I do not feel great about Penn State playing them the last week of the year, even if, you know, some of that shine from this win may end up coming off. But I think for now, what we have to do is we, you know, sit here, applaud Maryland, and hope that this was a, as a team in their division, hope that this is a, this is more of an aberration than a sign of things to come. Uh, and then finally, last game, uh, Purdue and Louisville. Yes. Louisville won 35-28. Except Bill, but it's Louisville. Louisville. 35-28, but I don't think that matters uh, nearly as much as the fact that everything that I think we have been saying and a lot of people who followed the Big Ten have been saying about Purdue, it will look true. This is a team that Bill Connolly said it perfectly. They are going to beat a team that they are they have no business beating, but at the same time, they're going to just get the doors beaten off of them by someone who is worse than them. Yeah, I was going to point out those Bill Connolly tweets as well because it pretty much describes hey, exactly there's, what there's Purdue still, is. There's still more there if you want to dive a little deeper into it. I was going to kind of sum them up in my mind. It basically becomes the ideal for Purdue is to be what Texas Tech wants to be in that just go wild on offense, score as much as you can. And really just put an emphasis and kind of get your defensive guys together and say, look, we know that we're not going to stop anyone consistently. But if we just go balls to the wall and try to create turnovers, then we can get the ball back to the offense. So that that formula could especially in a conference like the Big Ten, where there are so few teams, if any, that really play with the same mindset as that. Um that could, that's absolutely going to get them a win, kind of like Rutgers. It's absolutely going to get them a win over somebody they should not beat. But boy, are they going to get smacked on by a whole bunch of other teams. But it's going to be awesome regardless. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule right now. Uh, that trip to Missouri week three, Missouri's offense was on fire this week. That game looks like it's going to be insane. Going to Rutgers, you know, hosting Illinois, 
those games all seem like games where maybe one of them they they get blown out. But also, man, I would love to see Purdue drop sixty on Illinois. Yeah, they host Michigan. Uh, they host Nebraska. They host Indiana. Those are games that you know I'm looking at them and it looks like they're those seem like games where Purdue's going to go in and everyone's going to say they're the worst team. I don't think they beat Michigan. I, if I have to pick one of these games that I'm circling as intriguing, it's that one against Nebraska, where they're going to go in and they're going to throw the ball a lot, and they're going to do a bunch of weird and funky stuff on offense. Uh, David Blau's going to turn it over, but he's also going to push the ball downfield and connect with receivers for big plays. I want to see if they can run the ball a little bit better than they did against Louisville, but the, yeah, they're a team that they were fun, and I think that that's a really big improvement for Purdue and Jeff Brom's the dude. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a good game. I mean, you know, he only won the Heisman trophy last year and has kind of gone under the radar all off season. Did so. he, did he win the Heisman? Yeah. Surprising. I haven't heard his name once in Heisman conversations this off season, which is a much larger issue. Uh, You'd think that the return, the defending champion would be a little larger part of that conversation. Well, I th- you know, I think it's the whole no one wins the Heisman twice thing. Uh, or one person has won the Heisman twice thing if you want to get technical with it, but it's very hard to repeat, and I think that's just led to a lot of people counting him out. But you know, 370 yards through the air, two touchdowns, uh, 30 for 46 passing, 21 carries, 170 yards. He had a very good football game uh, again against a per- against a Purdue defense that I'm not exactly sold on, but it's a uh, yeah, good on him and for real, good on Purdue for going up against a team that probably should have beaten them by a lot but making it really interesting uh it was a yeah it, it was a fun weekend in big 10 football i think you and i have to uh have to agree on that and next weekend should be a little more fun we have uh you know we have that ohio state against oklahoma game that's going to be i think hot fire and then of course we have penn state pit make sure you listen to the, our midweek edition of the podcast where we get ready for the matchup between Penn State and the team that could not put Youngstown State away this past weekend. And yeah, thank you for listening to this edition of the podcast. Subscribe to all the various podcast platforms that are out there. I'm not going to repeat them because I'm going to forget that one. Whatever. Follow us on Twitter at RLRblog. We're putting some more pictures on our Flickr page. Make sure you check out our Flickr page. Like us on Facebook. Keep reading. Keep supporting. Doing all Leave a review stuff. on iTunes. Leave a review on iTunes. And buy some shirts because apparently we're big time now and the football team is putting uh, our attire on play cards. So make sure you get in before anybody else and get one of those. Yeah, one last time, thanks for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Adios.